good morning to New Hope. If you want to make your way back to your seats, we're going to get this Holy Ghost party started. Amen. Anybody, uh, anybody ready for some breakthrough in their life today? Ready for God to move in a powerful way? I, I'm telling you, uh, I, ever since I woke up early this morning, I couldn't get back to sleep. I was like, ah, we got... We got Pastor Glenn coming. You can sleep in. You don't have to stress about your message for today. But I just, I couldn't go to, I couldn't fall back asleep because I really had this feeling that God really wants to do something powerful here in church today. He really wants uh, to, for some of you guys to just put a stake in the ground today and just be like, okay, you know what? I'm only going forward. I'm not going back in any place of my life. I'm going to stake my claim here. And from this point on, things are just going to keep getting better and better and better. Amen. So I think that's what God wants to do. I don't want this to just be something that we just come to and, okay, yeah, here I am. I'm at church. I'm going to go through church and figure out where to go to lunch after. Then I'm just going to go back to my life. No, God wants to meet you right here. And he wants to meet you right where you're at. And he wants to do just amazing things in your life. And he wants to take everything that's put in you here in this service, wants to fill you up so that when you go outside uh, of this place that you are a shining light, that it's just, the, sh the light's just coming off you, right? There's people that work with you, they're going to have to put a veil on their face because you're going to be walking around glowing on Monday morning, amen? So it begins with worship and it begins with praise. And so I, I would just uh, encourage you just to enter in. There's freedom in this house, and he's worthy to be praised. Amen? Amen. We're made to worship. We're going to worship something in our life. Why would we not worship the one that we were designed to worship, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Amen? This isn't just a song service. We want to enter into his presence. And, and it says that, God inhabits the praises of his people. So we believe that, you know, when our praises go up, blessings come down, we, we become one with the, the heavenly host and, and that all comes together because that's what we're going to be doing for a good part of eternity is standing before the throne and worshiping him. So I just, uh, I think that um, today is going to be a day like no other. Amen. If you guys want to stand to your feet, we're going to open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, and I thank you uh, for the group of saints that have gathered here today. Lord, I thank you for those who came to serve and uh, make it so that we could be here and that we could have a, a great experience. But Lord, we thank you that your word says where two or three are gathered, that you are here in our midst. Lord, so I pray that you would touch lives today, that you would heal broken hearts, that you would strengthen the weak, Lord, that you would give people answers for problems, that uh, a spirit of fear would just be destroyed off of people's lives today, Lord. So, um, Lord, we just praise you. We invite you here and say, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. Just a quick announcement. So we just have our Passover Seder coming up on Wednesday, April 5th. If anybody wants to help with anything, contact Nancy over there in the corner. Nancy, can you put your hand up? Yes, so we're getting ready to celebrate the Passover and to learn the true Passover and to learn about how Jesus is the Passover lamb, right? So 
That's another event coming up. We're going to enter in uh, a scripture this morning, then we're going to honor our Lord. Good morning, guys. I'm going to read out of Psalm 42, verses 1 through 5. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs after you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear in God's presence? My tears have been my food both day and night, while men ask me all day long, where is your God? These things come to mind as I pour out my soul, how I walked with the multitude, leading to the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and praise. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why the unease within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him for the salvation of his presence. Thank you, God, that we can put our hope in you today, Lord God, that we don't have to be uneasy within ourselves. We don't have to be downcast, Lord, from this point forward. Thank you, God, for salvation that's in your presence, Lord. We just pray for just a, a fresh renewing, a fresh freedom as we come with shouts of joy and with shouts of praise in this place. Let us be free to worship. Let us be free to praise you and to know who we are, who you are, and who has our back. We love you and we bless your name. We give you praise in this place. We bless your name. We lift up our voices. We shout. We say thank you, Lord. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for deliverance. Thank you for healing. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Who am I that you are mindful of me, that you hear me when I
person today.
God a friend closer than a brother there is no judgment oh how he loves me I've got and he is boss and he is my portion fire with me yes. let all my testify hallelujah 
that is above every name the only name under heaven whereby men can be saved it's at that name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord at the name of Jesus sinners get saved at the name of Jesus sick bodies get healed at the name of Jesus every demon must flee the name of Jesus Lord, we praise you, we worship you as our Savior and Lord, as our healer, as our baptizer in the Holy Spirit, as our soon coming King. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We honor you. Jesus, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for rivers of living water. We thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You guys may be seated. If you guys are in a posture of worship, just you can stay where you're at. 
you're having a moment with the Lord, that's the most important thing. I'm just going to slide up next to you and grab my Bible. We could have our ushers come forward. We're going to continue in worship with our giving. Jesus. Just want to read a quick scripture. Luke chapter 5. I was thinking about all the stuff that the Lord has done here, I mean, my life in this church. I just get this feeling that we're just getting started. Let's get this feeling we're just getting started. Luke chapter 5, it says, So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of the Lord that he stood by the lake of Guinness. I'm, I'm going to just mess that all up. He stood by a lake. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put, that, put out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the multitudes from the land. And when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. But Simon answered him and said, Master, we've toiled all day and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees, said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The picture here is that Jesus is teaching and people were kind of pressing in on him so he gets the idea that he's going to preach from a boat and he walks up to these people that are have a fishing business have commercial boats says I need to use your boat so I can preach see at that moment they hooked their business in with, with what Jesus was doing and they let it out and Jesus began preaching, and these were experienced fishermen, and they didn't catch anything. But all of a sudden, because they hooked their business up with what Jesus was doing, Jesus said, hey, go out one more time and cast out your net. And when, Jesus, or when, when they went down and cast out their net, at first they were hesitant, like, hey, we've been doing this all night. Like, we're the fishermen, like, you're the preacher, but I guess we'll do it anyway. And it says that they caught so much fish, they had to call for partners to come help them. They had, to get a, they had to get other boats to come in. And even their boats, even with more than one boat, the catch was so big that all the boats began to sink. You see, Jesus knows where you can be provided for. Amen. But you have to hook yourself up. You have to hook your life up into what the Lord is doing. At that moment... He was just starting to build his church. And he was just, you know, standing on the fishing boats. They could have said, you know what? You're not standing on our boats. You're not going to sit on our boats and preach. It's against our insurance policies, you know? And then what you're preaching religion here on our boats, then, you know, then maybe people won't buy our fish because you No, 
He said, you know what? What we have, we're going we're gonna to let Jesus use because there's something bigger that's happening here. And listen, there's something bigger that's happening here at New Hope Community Church. I'll give you just a brief example. You know, one of the things is, you know, our, uh, the bridge, our, our men's transitional home. We're so full right now, we had to randomly add a bed in an extra room, and we want to take other rooms, and we want to add more beds, because we don't want to have somebody who's in need of this program, who's in need to uh, find community and find Jesus, and we don't want to say, sorry, we can't help you, because we don't have enough room. That maybe, like, a few hundred dollars would buy the materials to be able to get them a new mattress and a bed and have somewhere a place to be able to live just a little bit of money to pay the extra utilities just a little bit of money to put in some extra shower facilities and and to maintain like do we really want to say well you know what we're capped off with what God wants us to do that's it for us we we've kind of hit our limit or do we want to hook our lives into what Jesus is doing because Jesus wants to do big things amen And when you hook yourself up with Jesus, you hook yourself up with a source of provision that's not in the natural. It's the Lord who gives us power to get wealth. And you can make your mind up whether you want to just work and you want to be hooked up into this system of the world, you know, but I'm just going to tell you if you haven't watched the news, it's not looking too good out there. But we serve a kingdom that can never be shaken. Yes, and so yes. God will take care of us no matter what. We just got to make that decision that I'm going to hook my business in with his. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that, um, that you give us the power to get wealth. You give us life. You give us connections. You, you put us even at our jobs, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that according to your word, Lord, that as we give, Lord, that you multiply that giving that you give us an abundance for every good work and just as uh, they didn't know where to catch fish and and all of a sudden at just one of your words they had they had more than a multitude lord we trust you on your word that says test me on this bring all the tithes in my storehouse and see if i don't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so big that you can't contain it lord we thank you for all that you've called us to do lord we thank you that the provision for the vision is already there. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You guys can go ahead and take the offering. He's an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. Well, the power and love our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He
such an awesome God that you are and just being with us through the storms and through the trials, Father. And Father, I ask that you just come down right now, Father, and fill us up with your love and your grace and open our ears right now, Lord, as we get ready to prepare for this message, Father. Father, clear us of our own understandings of your words, Lord, and let us gain something new today, Father, so that we can push and push forward in your kingdom, Lord. Father, I thank you for these kids in this building this morning, Lord. Father, I put a special blessing upon these kids as they get ready to learn your word, Father. Father, just open their minds. Open their hearts to seek you today, Lord. Open their voices to speak to you today, Father. Let them see you in everything they speak. Let them see you in everything they do, Father. Show these teachers the grace and then give these teachers the encouragement, Lord, to just pour out, pour out, pour out, pour out for these kids, Father. These kids need you and more of you, Father, not of us, Father. Let us continue to build our foundation on you, Lord, and let these kids continue to grow up with you, Father. Father, I thank you just for allowing us to have an abundant flow of children in this church, Lord. We know, we know you use them to reach the lost, Father. We know you use them to heal the broken family, Father. So I just ask that you just continue to just being a blessing upon these kids' life today, Lord, and just continue showing them your love and your grace. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome, church. Welcome to New Hope this morning. I just want to deliver to you um, a word that came in the night last night. For those of you who are new here, a lot of times God speaks to his church um, in the night, and he'll just drop something in your spirit. And it hit me so hard that uh, I literally fell out of bed last night. I was trapped between my bed and my nightstand, and my husband had to help pull me up 
back into the bed and I went into prayer. But in the prayer, this is what the Lord is speaking. He's talking about the render of the cry. The render of the cry. Many of you have been crying precious tears behind the scenes and you're sobbing and you don't even know what the cry is connected to. Some of you directly know what the cry is all about. What God is saying in this hour is that I heard your cry. Cry out to me, your Lord. Your cries, your tears carry salt. They carry weight when they are directed to the Lord, to the Savior. Not your self-cry, but a cry out to the Lord Jesus. Those tears that drop, the salt from your tears that hit the earth will break strongholds in the demonic realm. When you redirect your tears, redirect your tears to the Lord who answers the cry of his saints. All through the Bible you read, and they cried out to me and I came and set them free. They cried out to me. Don't cry out to your soul. Cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus to set you free today. To set you free today. Remove all oppression from your life, from the cry today. So I'm gonna ask the church to stand. And we are going to redirect your cry. We're going to redirect your tears. The cry that you have released over your family, over oppression, over strongholds. You've been waiting and waiting and waiting for this break. This is your break. This is your break. In the mighty name of Jesus, Father God, we render the cry. We render the roar of your saints today to break, break, break demonic strongholds now in the mighty name of Jesus. Now I'm going to ask the church to cry to the Lord and just say, Lord, say, Lord, I render my cry. I, redir I redirect every tear into your spiritual realm of Jesus to destroy every demonic stronghold. Now on the count of three, we're just going to yell the name Jesus in the mighty name of Jesus. One, two, three. Jesus! Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Hey, you guys can be seated, but before you do, why don't you shake somebody's hand, give them a hug, give them a high five. Let the redeemed say so. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right, hey, praise God. So many good things happened already. There's a, there's a couple things. I, you know, I, I get excited and 
I just start getting excited for the things of God. I just start thinking about what God wants to do. And, you know, there's always stuff that people tell me that I need to announce that I just forget. So uh, let me just clear up some business right now because this stuff is important. Uh, the one thing is um, the practices, the, the uh, youth and the kids that are going to be involved in um, our, our uh, Resurrection Day service. Um, that's going to be this Saturday, four and five. Five is for the people doing the mimes. Four is going to be for the, uh, the other pieces that are um, working with Sherry. But um, if you could bring your outfits, the all black to that, um, that would be good. Um, also, I wanted to tell you guys, um, back um, at the, where, where the shirts are and stuff, we do have that church hoodies back there. There's not a lot of them, um, so... They're probably not going to last, but they're back there. And also, I wanted to tell you, we have the Glen Burris special today, one day only, to, since, uh, since uh, Pastor Glenn is here. All the t-shirts back there are $10. So if you're thinking about getting a t-shirt, do it today. Of course, Monday, Monday uh, is, is our Celebrate Recovery. Anybody hang up, hope, or habit, if you're looking for a, a support group that accepts you as you are, looking for some good people that will help walk with you through a storm. That's the place, Monday at 7. Also, Wednesday, we have Bible study at 7. Friday, we have Friday Night Live service at 7. And, of course, uh, next Sunday, I'm back here for our main event um, in the morning. So I, I want to introduce to you um, uh, Glenn Burris and... Um, Glenn Burris uh, went to Mount Vernon Bible College, which was a four-square Bible college that was actually in Ohio, uh, not that far from here. I think it's maybe three hours away, I want to say, um, but Foursquare had a Bible college, and uh, he pastored a lot of different churches, most notable, um, uh, is it, was it Grace Church in Cornelius? Yeah. Uh, just a beautiful, beautiful uh, campus. Uh, we had our district convention there, just a um, just an, an amazing church down there, and then uh, served as a um, general supervisor and for 10 years was president um, of the International Church of the Foursquare Gospel. And he modeled just such um, amazing, humble leadership. Um, I, I know that um, I grew so much, and I used to just love to go to convention, and there was just so much, and, and the different changes that he made and the challenges that I would, uh, you know, just see him overcome. It was just really amazing. So um, he's just been a tremendous leader and, a, and really a, a role model uh, for me, um, sometimes from, from afar, to, you know, be an international president, but somehow still be able to be in touch, you know, with, with just, you know, and, and at that time, you know, taking over, I think the last time he was here, our attendance was probably like 40 people or so. So uh, God's done uh, a lot here, um, but, you know, to be in touch with that. But I have a, uh, I have a, a, you know, a theological belief that, you know, is pretty controversial within the body of Christ, but I believe it to be true. And that belief is simply this, that God is a Steelers fan. God is a Steelers fan. And all... And all the, see, we got some people that believe it, and I, I believe it too. I think that, you know, that you're, you know, the streets are paved with gold, 
you know, but that's just for the Keller because the houses are probably all black, you know, to be the, the black and gold. But anyway, I, I um, years ago when uh, the last time that, that Pastor Glenn was here, you know, I had told him that, you know, as a Christian, as they grow in grace and they grow in sanctification, you know, they may start off as, you know, a Raiders fan or a Panthers fan or whatever, but as they get closer to God, they become a Steelers fan. And I told him that when he was like, he was like, ah, oh, no, I'm, you know, a Panthers fan, whatever. I think we, we even got him a shirt. It was sort of a, a Steelers shirt and all that. And I said, you know, you just wait as you get closer to Jesus, you know, you're going to be more of a Steelers fan. And, and I was kind of just said it, you know, tongue in cheek. And then the next thing I know, I, I just, I'm looking on Facebook. There's Glenn Burris right next to Ben Roethlisberger. There's Glenn Burris at the Steeler game. So I made a prophetic decree. So, I mean, I'm here to declare two things. That number one, that God is a Steelers fan. And number two, will you, you know, admit that I had a prophetic mantle when I declared all those years ago that he would indeed, I'm seeing him, oh yeah, just had lunch with Charlie Batch. Oh yeah, I'm at the Steelers game. Oh, I'm, I'm like, there we go. I predicted it, but you guys are in for a real blessing today. So could we give him a very warm round of applause to <laughs> Pastor Glenn Burris. Thank you so much. And to all of that, I say, um, humility is really important. <laughs> God gives grace to the humble. But all those things are true. I have become more of a Steelers fan, and uh, I'm getting some, some good tickets, thankful to my son. And uh, Well, it's good to be with you today. In fact, I, I heard there's a t-shirt special I think your pastor says a Glen Burr special being here today. I was in Cote d'Ivoire, which is a African nation on the west side of Africa. They speak French there. And we have a growing uh, Foursquare church there. Our um, conference campground is right across the road from the Chinese embassy. Um, a tribal chief uh, actually came to convention one year. I don't know if you remember meeting him, but um, he sold the land, their tribe sold the land to our Foursquare work in Cote d'Ivoire. So the last time I was there, I drove up, and there's about a half a mile drive down a kind of a dirt road before you get to the Foursquare Conference Center. I think there's like three or 4,000 people there. And, and um, all these people are, have lined the road. Um, and I said to the national leader, what are they here for? They said, they're here to welcome you. I said, wow, that's a special welcome. And then I noticed they all had the same T-shirt on. And I was looking closely, and I said, what is that? They said, that's a picture of you on their T-shirt. <laughs> so these 3,000 people had a picture of me on their T-shirt. And then a friend of mine wrote me later and said, I was in Niger, Africa, which is way far away from Cote d'Ivoire. And he said, I was in a rural community, and out of one of the huts came this kid wearing a T-shirt with your picture on it. 
And um, so I'm sure they use them for uh, car rags and everything else now, but um, that was fun. I don't know if you've been watching March Madness or not, but um, I love this time of year where college basketballs are playing. University of Pittsburgh still in the still in the tournament, and they won. And so I'm a big ACC fan because I grew up in North Carolina. And um, I noticed that this week uh, a historical moment where a college called FDU, um, in fact, they did the story about them knocking off number one Purdue. Uh, that was uh, very rare for a number 16 seed to knock off a number one. It's only happened twice. This is the second time. And they were just so joyful. The team was just going ecstatic because it just doesn't happen. I mean, it was, if you call it a miracle in basketball, it was about as close as you get to it. And I wonder, why are people so happy? I mean, the other team was dejected, but a lot of other teams win but don't seem to be as happy. And I think it's because no one expected them to win. And because no one expected them to win, it's like the lady who washed Jesus' feet with her hair and she wept when she did it and Jesus responded to the people who criticized her and he said, to whom much has been forgiven, that person loves more because they've been forgiven more. And I think once we realize at times that we are all recipients of a grace that we didn't earn, that God jumps in like the, the disciples that, that uh, your pastor talked about who shared with others their joy of catching fish they weren't expecting because they fished all night. It's that joy that comes with um, all of a sudden understanding that God gives miracles sometimes where it's least deserved. Can you say that? Amen? God gives miracles oftentimes in places where it's least deserved. And I realize today that when God does something for me, it's not because I deserve it, but it's because of his grace, it's because of his love, it's because of his, it's just his favor. In fact, um, I asked your pastor when we, when I should close today, and he said, well, this is a pretty free church. People aren't necessarily expecting you to get done at a certain time, but I said, no, I want to know a target date. I need to know a target time to get finished because I had a friend of mine who retired and he said he finally figured out when it was time to quit preaching. I said, how's that? He said, I preached for two hours and I couldn't figure out how to stop. <laughs> so if I can't figure out how to stop today, you need to help me because I'm retired now, which basically means I buy shoes today not for style but for comfort. Because <laughs> you don't care what people think as you retire, what they... Uh, might think that you should wear or whatever. It's, it's much more for comfort than it is for style. But my friend said he quit preaching because he preached for two hours and couldn't figure out how to stop. I don't think that'll be a problem today because I think I'll get hungry before then and, uh, and I'll stop preaching. Um, today's message was entitled, I Can Only Imagine. And if you remember that song that uh, Bart Miller wrote with Mercy Me, how many of you have ever heard of the group Mercy Me? I saw them in person in Los Angeles at the Rose Bowl. They were doing the worship for Billy Graham's last public um, crusade. I think he actually did one more in Central Park. But this is his last major city crusade. Jack Hayford, who was the president of Foursquare, was actually one of the co-hosts of that convention. He was very good friends with Billy Graham. And uh, 
Bart Millard wrote probably his most famous song called I Can Only Imagine. And I don't know if I shared that story with you last time I was here, but it's so worth sharing. If there were only 40 people, Rick, then there's a lot more people who didn't even hear the story even if they were here. But I love this story because um, if you saw the movie about uh, Mercy Me, you'll realize that he gave the song to Amy Grant to record, and she gave it back to him. And I love this because I want you to hear this. She said, this is your story, not mine. I thought, what a powerful thing. She said, I could make this a hit, but this is your story, not mine. Because Bart Millard grew up in an athletic family in Texas, and everybody played football, and Bart got hurt, and he couldn't play football anymore, so he, he got into music. And everybody in his family was disappointed that he got into music and not football. Because in Texas, everybody's a what? Cowboys fan. I mean, everybody's a football fan. So Bart Millard said, I got into music and everybody was disappointed. My father was disappointed. And, and he said, in fact, my father died before he ever really saw God's hand upon my life. So I wrote this song because I can only imagine what it's going to be like one day when my father sees what kind of father I became, what kind of husband I became, what kind of Christian I became. And so he wrote this song, I can only imagine, which means Bart Millard was said, I could spend my life regretting that my father never knew what I became, or I could spend my life dreaming of what life will be like one day in the future. And I think that's where I want to tell you this morning, I'd like to drag you with me for a few minutes into the future because I think God honors people who think more about the future than they do about the past. When they're contending, Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind me, I press toward the mark of, of what God's image for me is. God's not finished writing your story. And sometimes people get stuck. You know, a record that has, remember the old record players and if a record got a scratch on it, every time the, the needle would go around and hit that scratch, you hear this awful screeching noise. But I want to tell you, God's not stuck in the past. God is committed to giving you a future. And so when Bart Millard wrote this song, he was thinking, I know what my past is. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of disappointment. In fact, a lot of people are disappointed in me, but my thought and my eyes are on the future because that's where God has in store for me. God would write this to a prophet of Jeremiah when the people of Israel were in um, captivity and he said, I know the plans for you. My plans for you are not to harm you, but to give you a future and a hope. Your church is about new hope. It's not about the past. It's about the future. Your pastor has vision. I love just hanging out with Rick and Sherry because I see something in them that models what happens when the Holy Spirit empowers somebody is they start seeing possibilities, not just realities. In fact, the Bible says it's impossible to please God without what? Without faith. Faith is about not taking into account what is reality, but it's about imagining the future. By the way, the whole group Mercy Me got that name because when his grandmother heard that he was going into music rather than football, this is her words, mercy me. So he took that phrase, which was kind of meant to be a sarcasm, and he used it to launch into, right now is probably the most famous group in, in, the, in the entire um, Christian music industry. There's a part of life where we get stuck in the present, and our interpretation of it is, 
based on our past. Let, let me say that again. There are often people stuck in the present because their whole world is built around their interpretation of the past. That the past is going to repeat itself instead of imagining that the present can have a new future. Faith is about believing in a new future, not assuming that your present is just going to be the interpretation of what has happened in the past. Someone said fear is often the result of our response when we assume that our experiences would just repeat themselves. That's what fear is. Fear is thinking, oh, this is just going to happen the way it used to be, or this is what life is going to be. But faith is the belief that God can give us a brand new future regardless of our past. Sometimes in spite of it. But make no mistake, our future is often led to and tied to decisions we make in the present that open the door for a different future than our past. It's been said, and I love this, that, our, that a head full of fears has no space for dreams. Remember when Jesus was in the boat with his disciples and a storm came up and Jesus was what? Asleep. And there was a storm all around and the disciples concluded we're going to die. And here Jesus sleeping in our boat. Have you ever actually felt that, that there's a storm going all around you and Jesus seems to be asleep? I mean, he doesn't seem to know what's going on around and they wake Jesus up and say, don't you care? We're going to die. And Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith. I mean, the person who has calmed the storms and fed the thousands is here in the boat with you. He's just six feet away from you, and you think you're going to die? I mean, that's the way life feels sometimes, because the storm is mounting around us, and things are happening, and it's loud, and it's, the wind's blowing, and, and the waves are crashing, and, and we've concluded we're going to die, and yet Jesus said, no, what you're responding to are all the circumstances around you, not the person who's with you in the circumstance. When you focus on who is with you, not what is happening around you, then that's where faith can kick in. I was in Rome, Italy a couple years ago, and, and I, I don't know if you can read that, but this is a painting in the Sistine Chapel. The Sistine Chapel is filled with some artwork by Michelangelo and, and there's some more paintings that are more famous than this but I want you to get something that this artist understood he painted this picture and it has salmon, booze and obeth now I, there's 6 million people a year who visit the Sistine Chapel and I was there in Rome and I, I drove to the Sistine Chapel but there were too many people the line was wrapped a couple times around the building so I went on to a different place called the Mamertine Prison. It's not very far from the Sistine Chapel. This is very ornate art. And, um, but I decided to visit a place, and I'll come back, I think, to the Mamertine Prison before I finish the message today. But the Sistine Chapel has this beautiful painting. But I'm wondering of the six million people who go through it, if they actually know what Michelangelo was thinking when he wrote the names Salmon, Booze, and Obeth. I mean, I could do a quiz today, and it's unfair because when I first saw it, I had to do a little research to realize what Michelangelo was thinking. He was telling the story in this picture. The story is of three men, three men who um, were married to some interesting women. Salmon was a Jew. He was one of the men who 
ended up at the wall of Jericho when Israel moved from Egypt through 40 years in the wilderness and now crossed the River Jordan. And their first battle was to march around the walls of Jericho to see the walls fall. But before that happened, Israel needed an intervention. And if you remember the story, Israel sent two spies into Jericho to figure out what was going on in the city. And they ran into a woman named Rahab. Now, what do we know about Rahab? Hebrew tells us, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, tells us that Rahab, who's listed in the Hall of Faith, was um, a prostitute. She was, in fact, one interpretation of her house that she hid the spies in was it was on the wall of Jericho. And some people say it was an inn. Some people say it was a brothel. But we know because of the description of Rahab is that she was a prostitute that God used to rescue these spies and to hide them from the men of Jericho. So they did their report. She actually told them how to leave the city to not get caught. And she said, the one thing I want you to do is to save my family when you come in because I know God's going to hear your prayer. Everybody knows that God is with you, but I want you to save my family. So remember they gave her the scarlet rope to tie out her window and when they got into Jericho, they saved her family. Now, Salmon becomes her husband. Now, I don't know if he was one of the spies. I don't know if he was one of the ones that rescued her family from the walls of Jericho when they fell down and they rescued Rahab, but they rescued her and her father and her family. And But now Michelangelo has painted this picture and wrote the name of Salmon, his wife, Rahab, is actually in the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew. Isn't that amazing? God takes a prostitute who's not even a Jew, and he writes her into the story of Jesus. Do you think at that time she had any idea that God would use her story and her decision to be a part of birthing the most important world person that ever came in. I mean, we worship Jesus. Crosses are everywhere today. Why? Because God sent his son. But he didn't just send his son. He sent him through a lineage of people that are very imperfect. I'm telling you today that God has still has a future for the church based on imperfect people. That he's taking our story wherever it's at, but people are willing to yield themselves to him so Salmon's listed on this picture because he was married to Rahab. And they had a son named Booz on there, but it's Boaz. So they had a son named Boaz who finds a new wife. Remember what her name is? Ruth. One of only two women who've had a book named after her in the Bible. Out of 66 books, Two of them are named after women. Esther is one and Ruth is the other. Now, here's the interesting. She's not a Jew either. Ruth is who I want to focus on for just a few minutes this morning because she reminds me of the grace of God that shows up in the Old Testament. This woman who was a Moabite lived in a nation that worshipped many gods. But she encountered a young Hebrew man who came with his family into Moab flee from Israel because God's judgment was on Israel and they fled the city of Bethlehem. Her mother-in-law's name was Naomi. 
She married one of Naomi's sons. Tragedy struck. Her and her sister's husbands, who were Naomi's sons, died as well as Naomi's husbands. So Naomi flees back to Bethlehem, back to her family, back to the city that she left in shame. They were greatly in debt. They didn't wait for God to deliver Bethlehem. In fact, what's ironic is Bethlehem's called the house of bread. And yet in the middle of a famine, they flee not knowing that God was delivered them. But then God brings them back. But here's the ironic thing. The woman who had the history of being in the Jewish uh, nation, Naomi, comes back to Bethlehem bitter. In fact, she says, don't call me Naomi, but call me Mara, for my life is bitter. I've lost my husband. I've lost my two sons. Whereas Ruth comes back and says, hey, we got to get to work here. God's going to supply our needs because now I'm worshiping the God that you worship. I've come to the land that you've been a part of. I want you to understand that they don't name a book after Naomi. They name it after Ruth. Because Naomi takes all of her circumstances. She ends up with a heart of bitterness. Ruth takes all of her circumstances and ends up with a heart that God's going to give us a future. God's not, God's not done with us yet. In fact, she says, I'm going to go out and find some barley for our family. And she goes out and she sits in a field. And a lot of times they allow the foreigners to clean up the extra stuff. Booz, or Boaz, spots her. He's the son of Salmon and Rahab. He spots her, thinks she's beautiful, finds out who she is. And when he finds out that this is Ruth, he already knows her story. He says, you're the one that was faithful to your mother-in-law. You're the one that's been faithful to God. And I'm here to tell you that God is going to answer on your behalf. And Boaz was part of that answer. All of a sudden, God shows up through his ministry and his life, and she actually becomes a very, very wealthy person. Ruth, a Gentile, follows Naomi back to the house of bread. Naomi returns with grief. Ruth returns with anticipation. She used her imagination to assume a different future than it was the past. I love it when God shows up in stories and all of a sudden there's something happening different than there was in the past. I went to dinner with Jack Hayford and his wife and um, it was so much fun. Uh, they invited us to a really nice restaurant in Santa Barbara and I told my wife before we got there, I said, honey, this is Jack Hayford, and he and his wife had invited us to dinner, and let's pay for their dinner. What I wasn't prepared for were the prices of the restaurant. So I leaned over to my wife, and I said, honey, let's split a salad. Let, let's, try to, let's try to conserve the damage of this meal. So we split a salad, and literally, they brought us one pecan to, to, to have. I mean, it was, it was crazy. So we got through this meal. And our server came by the table, and I leaned in to her, and I said, could you bring me the bill? And Jack, I don't know if you know Jack Hayford, but he's very astute, and, and Jack said, um, Glenn, we invited you to this meal, so you're not paying for it. We are. Now, my first response internally was relief, because I knew this bill was probably going to be a couple hundred dollars of payment. So 
I said, okay, Pastor Jack. And the server spoke up and she said, neither one of you can pay for this meal. Someone anonymously has paid for your dinner. Now, Jack, you got to know Jack. He doesn't like surprises. So he says to the server, I want to know who paid for our meal. Because he th he's thinking I paid for it. She said, sir, she doesn't know who Jack Avery is. She said, sir, if they want to be anonymous, apparently they don't want you to know who they are. So we left the restaurant. He doesn't find out who's paid for the meal. For two years, Jack accused me of paying for that meal, Pastor Rick. Every time we'd get in a private situation, he'd say, okay, Glenn, go ahead and admit, you paid for that meal. It's okay. I said, listen, Jack, I know that meal was expensive. I said, if I had paid for that meal, I would take credit for it. I didn't pay for that meal. So Jack was teaching a conference once, and a pastor, a Nazarene pastor from Santa Barbara, came up to Jack, and he said, hey, do you remember being at the Four Seasons restaurant in Santa Barbara a couple years ago, and someone anonymously paid for your meal? And Jack said, yeah, that was the strangest thing. He, the pastor said, I know who paid for your meal. They were a couple in my church. They see you on TV. They hear you on the radio. They've read your books. They saw you in a restaurant and couldn't believe it. And they just wanted to do something nice for you. Jack couldn't believe it. So he said, I want their names. I want to write them a thank you. And the pastor said, okay, I'll give you their name and address. So he wrote them. They sent him another gift certificate to an expensive restaurant in Santa Barbara. So Jack comes and apologizes to me, and we laugh, and I'm going, Jack, you owe me that gift card because I've been harassed for two years. Isn't it amazing that God does things that are exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think? You can't out-dream God. But he asked you to try. He asked you to imagine a future that only he could do. Paul said this, nothing can separate me from your love. Not height, depth, principalities, powers, present, past, things to come. Not angels, not demons. Nothing can separate me from your love. You know, I, I love this about your pastor and his wife because I follow them on Facebook. And what I love about them is a tenacity that in the end, God wins. No matter what happens, God's going to take even what the enemy has meant for bad and turn it for good. That's today why I'm telling you this story about Salmon, Boaz, and Obeth, which, by the way, um, Obeth is Obed, who became the son of Boaz and Ruth. And go to Matthew, and you'll see all of them are in the lineage of Jesus. God is weaving a story. In fact, he, he takes a woman named Leah, who the Bible says was unloved, and she gave forth a son named Judah. And this begins this, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, from a woman who was rejected, a woman who was unloved. But a woman, as the prophecy said today, cried out to God. Rick, I know a lot of people who whine today. That's what Naomi did. She whined about her circumstances. She was called a woman of bitterness. But Ruth didn't whine about her circumstances. She cried out to the one who could help her. 
to the one who could deliver her. And because she cried out to God, God did not leave her defenseless. Tarn Wells wrote a song recently and recorded it, and he says, God's not done with you. Let me read you some of the words he wrote. Standing in your ruins feels a lot like the end. So used to losing, you're afraid to try again. Right now, all you see are ashes when there was a flame. Truth is that you're not forgotten because God knows your name. God's not done with you. Even with your broken heart and your wounds and your scars, God's not done with you. Even when you're lost and it's hard, you're not falling apart. God's not done with you. It's not over. It's only begun. So don't hide. Don't run because God's not done with you. There's a light you didn't notice until you're standing in the dark and there's a strength that's growing. He's got a plan. This is a part of it. He's going to finish what he started. He's got a plan. This is a part of it. He's going to finish what he started. He's not done. He's not done writing your story. When I was 36 year old, Rick told you that I was a pastor for a while and was a district supervisor. And when I was pastoring, we had two young kids. I think they would have been 12 and 13 at this time. Um, I was attending a conference in Charlotte and I started throwing up blood. And um, they rushed me to Carolina Medical Center and they went and got my wife and two kids and brought them in. When my wife came in the emergency room, I barely remember seeing her. And then I went into convulsions again. They rushed me to trauma uh, surgery where Dr. Thomas McElwee was there. Uh, he's only six years older than me. He was 42. I was 36. I've been having problems for two years. Everybody thought it was um, something in my back, so they gave me all kinds of scans and bone scans. Finally, the last doctor to see me told me I need to see a psychiatrist. He said, you don't have anything physically wrong with you. That particular day, an ulcer ruptured in my stomach, and um, I lost nine units of blood, and I quit breathing on the operating table. But could I tell you, <laughs> that was 32 years ago. God wasn't finished with me. I, don't you love movies where they start at the end and then they keep going back and tell you the backstory? The backstory is that my mom had a stillbirth and lost a couple babies to miscarriages, and she was pregnant with me in Georgia and started bleeding. And a woman came to my mom's house and she said, Could I tell you that you're not only not going to lose this baby, but God's raising this child up to be in the ministry? Ten years after I was in the ministry, after I graduated from Bible college, after I was in a pastorate, I was like 30 years old, and my mom says, can I tell you, can I tell you did I ever tell you the story about the time I was bleeding? Because I'd been to my sister's grave in California, and she said, where this lady prophesied over me, and I quit bleeding, and I had you, and you were normal, and you went to Bible college. And I said, Mom, why didn't you tell me that story earlier? I mean, I don't know about me, but if somebody prophesied over my kids who were going to Bible college and be preachers, I would tell them, you don't have any choice. You're not going to the school or that school. You're going to Bible college. You're going to be a preacher. I said, Mom, you didn't tell me any of that. She said, I just wanted to sit back and watch God perform his work. Wow. Imagine having the kind of confidence that you don't manipulate anything toward the end. You just trust God to get there. You're not scheming. You're not manipulating. You're not forcing, you're not pressing. So I'm sitting on this operating table or laying on it. I'm not breathing. 
he finds out what the problem is, stops the bleeding with his thumb, repairs my stomach, um, gets me moving toward a, a different future. And I wake up in the um, intensive care unit. He's told my wife that I, your husband went five minutes without breathing. I don't know if he'll have any brain damage or not, which is kind of convenient when I don't want to remember something that I've promised my wife that something happened back there. I still have a little problem. She doesn't believe it, but um, here's what the Lord said to me. I want to tell you this as I'm going to wrap up with four quick statements. God said to me in the intensive care unit 32 years ago when I woke up and I said, I can't believe that you saved my life, God. And he said, I've already numbered your days and you're not leaving early. I know the day when your days are finished here and they're not now. You won't leave till I'm finished with you. I've not feared death since that day, Rick, no matter what happened. I've just, I've had this confidence that God's numbered my days, and when they're done, they're done. There's nothing I can do to prolong them. But until then, why worry about it? I went to the doctor's office for a follow-up, and he handed me his bill. Have you ever actually had a doctor hand you his bill before? I mean, it was quite extensive. He said, flip it over. I turned it over, and he put paid in full. Every year I used to go back and carry a fruit basket to his staff and Dr. McElwee. And I called his office about five years ago and I said, hey, is Dr. McElwee retired? He said, oh, no, he's not retired. He's still working. I said, well, he saved my life 30 years ago. And they said, oh, he'll want to talk to you. They put him on the phone. He remembered, Rick, this was 30 years ago. He remembered every detail about my surgery. Can I tell you that no matter what you face tomorrow, God's already lined people up to be there, to be part of your story? I mean, and that's not anything you could arrange. That's not anything you could plan. And, and, and that's why the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Don't fill your life with anxiety because God's got all of this figured out. Just trust him. And if you look in the Bible, God honored the people who trusted him. God honored Ruth. He wrote a book after her name. I went to, not the Sistine Chapel, but the Mamertine Prison. That's where Paul and Peter were both kept just before they were executed. Paul headed there through Jerusalem, and they told Paul, don't go to Rome. If you go to Rome, they're going to arrest you, they're going to try you, and they're going to kill you. And Paul said... I'm going to Rome to make God known. Now, how silly is that if they're going to take you, arrest you, beat you, and execute you? I don't think that's a good plan. I would say, Paul, hang out with us. You can disciple some more people. You could plant some more churches. You could preach some more sermons. But don't go to Rome because they're going to kill you. Paul said, no, I'm going to Rome to make God known. That doesn't make sense because they're going to arrest you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to beat you, and they're going to kill you. That's exactly what happened. But Paul wrote a few letters while he was in prison. And every year, 60 million times, they're published and reproduced. In China, are more Bibles published every year than anywhere. Don't you think God has a sense of humor? God said, you think you're going to write into your constitution that there is no God? I'm going to show you that there is a God. You're going to actually reproduce my Bible 40 million times a year more than any other nation in the world. I love God's sense of humor. 
and you're going to remove the evangelists, you're going to remove the missionaries, you're going to outlaw the Bible, and you're going to jail the pastors, and I'm going to cause one of the greatest revivals on the face of this earth to happen in the underground church. That's why today we can be hopeful. Four quick statements, and I close. God's not done writing your story. God's not done writing your story. Two, and I think this is really important from this story. You will reap where you have not sown. Jesus actually said that. You will reap where you have not sown. Naomi, I mean, excuse me, Ruth had not sown into that field, but she began to reap from it. She, it's called the barley harvest. She, she reaped from it. When I was um, about 10 years old, I got my first bicycle. It was used. My parents were pastors. They bought me a used bicycle. I rode it over to my friend's house. I parked it behind his mom's car. She came back in the house. She was crying. She said, Glenn, did you park your bike behind my car? She said, yes. She said, I just ran over it. Now I want you to imagine a 10-year-old kid who's never had a bicycle, gets his first bicycle. I didn't care if it was used. It, I was so happy to have a bicycle. I rode it to my friend's house, parked it behind his mom's car, and she backed over it. I was so heartbroken. But Rick, I learned something as a 10-year-old. You reap where you do not sow in God's kingdom. The next day, Someone knocked on our front door, and there this mom was with a brand new bicycle. Now, I don't recommend kids parking their bicycles behind their friend's mom's cars because they may not be as generous as this mom was. All I can tell you as a 10-year-old, I come to believe in a God who will give us what we have not deserved. You will reap where you did not sow. Thirdly, your harvest is coming sooner than you think. Ruth reaped from the barley harvest. That was the spring harvest. That's not the late harvest. That's the spring harvest. So first of all, God's not done writing your story. Second of all, you're going to reap where you've not sown. Third, I want to, I want to give a word to you. Your harvest is coming sooner than you think. There's an early harvest. In fact, I didn't realize this till I put these two stories together in this um, artwork. But in the first one, when you have Salmon and Rahab, Rahab hid the spies. Go back and read it. Rahab hid the spies from those who came to her house with the harvest, with the wheat from the barley harvest, this early harvest. I love how the two stories are connected, that this early harvest hid the spies and they fed Ruth, and they're part of God's story. Lastly, your harvest will serve to protect you from the schemes of hell. While they were trying to find the spies, God used the harvest to save them and to keep them from being known. My son lived in London for two years, and he told about getting off of the tube and the subway system there and two men followed him off and he went into a store and they, they waited outside the store and finally the store closed and the owner made my son leave and they followed him again and Josh knew they wanted to rob him so he got to the end of the town part and he was turning right where he lived in Notting Hill and he said I had about 10 blocks to go and I was just going to try to outrun him 
when he got to the end of the road and he turned right to start running, two policemen were standing right there. And he was able to say, hey, these guys are, are following me. I told him, I said, I don't think those were policemen, Josh. I think those were angels. We've been praying for you every single day. Because I believe this about God is that God produces this kingdom stuff to protect us from the plans and schemes of the enemy. Not only will you reap where you have not sown, not only will your harvest be early, but God will use the harvest of his kingdom to protect you from the plans and schemes of the enemy. I think God's got plans for this church that you know nothing about. Just as I was entering the church, Rick told me about a new piece of property he had purchased for a pregnancy center and I'm thinking, Rick, this is the kind of church Jesus, not only the kind of church Jesus is building, but I believe this is the kind of church Jesus would attend. I believe this is the kind of church Jesus shows up. I mean, <laughs> he's using a prostitute and a Gentile woman to say they are a part of my plan. When a church believes that the, the gates of heaven have opened because God so loved the world and hasn't narrowed that opportunity for people, and a church is a reflection of its community and God is doing something that is a part of his kingdom work, then God's favor is going to be on this place. You're going to get blessings you didn't deserve because God's favor is on this place. I believe God is going to do a work here that you could not even begin to write about it. I mean, I already see it from the last time I was here to now. There's a grace and favor on this place from the hand of God. Why? Because you're living in this place of faith and contending for a future that is yours and not, not I mean, I know some of the challenging things that you've navigated and even with your worship leader this morning, we were just briefly talking about, I mean, God's not done writing your story. Now, if I've already told you the story, I apologize, but I'm going to finish with this, and i got three minutes. Oh, Rick said I could preach as long as I wanted, but at 12.15, everybody left. So, uh, no, he didn't actually say that. So my wife and I had been married 20 years. We ended up at a hotel in Canada for our anniversary and she had been telling me she wanted to go to a world-class hotel and have high tea now I, I grew up in the deep south I didn't know what high tea was I knew about sweet tea <laughs> but high tea is what the Queen of England served in England and it became a very big deal afternoon tea with cookies and cakes and scones and I don't know but all I knew is that when I signed up for it, it was going to be about $60 a piece but my wife wanted to go to a five-star hotel and have high tea. So I wanted to make my wife a happy wife. So I scanned the internet and I found this hotel in Canada. We were going to be in Seattle for a conference. We finished up the conference. She had no idea, packed our bags. She thought we were going to the airport. We went to the port, caught a boat, went over to this island called Vancouver Island, the city of Victoria, to stay at a hotel where the Queen of England had stayed at. And the next day we we're going to have high tea. I'm, are you, aren't you impressed by this young guy? He knew how to make his wife happy. Problem is, when we got to the hotel, it was about 7.30 at night, 
they told us that they gave our room away. I said, what do you mean you gave our room away? They said, we, we had you coming in yesterday, so you didn't come in, we gave you room. I said, that's okay. We'll just take another room. Now, I had rented, talking about a five-star hotel, I had rented a room that I think was on the back wall of the hotel by the vending machine because it was like $90 a night, and this was, this was a hotel that probably room started about 300 and in a very nice place. And So I said, okay, just give me it. And they said, no, we're sold out. Here's, here's 10 more hotels that you might can find a room in. I said, no, no, you don't understand. It's my 20th anniversary. Do you want me to be married 20 more years? If you do, you'll find me a room. She said, I'm sorry. So the manager came out, and I explained to him my problem, and he said, I'm sorry, Glenn, you, you don't have any room. I said, then I want two pillows and a blanket. He said, well, you want two pillows? I said, well, I told my wife we're spending the night here. We're going to sleep in your lobby. Now, this is a five-star hotel. Can you imagine a couple getting ready for bed in a lobby of a five-star hotel? I mean, we got high tea the next day, right? So he said, wait a minute. He turns around. I think he's going to call the Royal Mounted Police is what I think he's going to call. My wife has no idea what's going on. I'm calm. He brings me back the key. Now, I'd just been told for 20 minutes there was not a room. Now he tells me there's room left. Remember the Bible says, if you're going to knock, keep on knocking. If you're going to ask, keep on asking. If you're going to seek, keep on seeking. The people that never find the open doors quit when the door doesn't open. Some of you are going to have to keep asking. Some of you are going to have to keep knocking. Some of you are going to have to keep seeking. So he said, I want you to go check the room out. We went outstairs, checked this upstairs, second floor suite called the Vice Regal Suite. We had five rooms, fireplace, flowers in every room. My wife is running all around this place. She's so excited. I'm thinking, how much is this going to cost me? Because my room was $99. And this is, so I went downstairs, found out the room was about $2,000 a night. Two nights that I figured I'd save my marriage, right? He said, Mr. Burris, we really feel bad. We're going to give you this for $99 a night. I said, we'll take it for six months. <laughs> I found out later that the Queen of England had stayed in this suite. It's actually written up in books. So the next morning we get up, my wife says, this has been the day of instant cameras before your iPhones. And she said, go buy a camera. We're going to take a picture in every room, even in the bathroom. We're going to tell everybody. I still got the pictures. And so I ran into a Foursquare pastor in the lobby, and I said, Tim, you got to come up to see our room. And when he saw our room, he said, Pastor Rick, so this is how Foursquare executives travel. <laughs> and the Lord reminded me, I will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ask or think. That's my story. God's writing your story. He will do more than you ask, more than you think, more than you dream. But you've got to give him something to work with. Don't get stuck in the past. Don't get overwhelmed in the present. Keep your eyes focused on the future. Lord, thank you for this great congregation and congregation that's just they're, they're believing, God, that you're in this work. That you're building a church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. I mean, this is almost like an ark where everyone who finds their way here or is pulled into this place is having their life rescued and restored and redeemed. 
my prayer is that you would exponentially multiply this influence into other places around Pittsburgh and other places around Pennsylvania and other places around our nation and other places around the world. Catch the heart this pastor and his wife has for this congregation and let it be multiplied in Jesus' name. And Lord, to every dream where someone is here today and their dream hasn't come to pass, I pray that you'd light a new fire in that dream. That they would believe that you're the originator of that dream, not themselves. And that, God, you're going to do something so spectacular that when it happens, they'll only be able to say, but God. God wrote the ending of the story. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you guys blessed by that word? Worship team, if you want to make your way forward. And I want to give you, I want to give you guys uh, an opportunity as, um, is, is Tony with the kids? She lost her husband. I'd like to give an opportunity as these guys are praying for worship, what I believe, I, you know, there's these moments in time, and I want to give you that opportunity to believe again, that opportunity to pray the prayer of faith. So um, I'm going to have uh, Tony and Kim up here and Steve and Darlene. I don't know where you guys are at. You guys are, if you guys want to come up, and uh, Jamie and Michelle, if you want to come up too. And these guys are just going to be up here to pray with you. We heard a message, this is a message of faith that God can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever dream of or imagine. And I'm sensing that there's just some people in here that you have some dreams in your heart, you have some things that God wants you to do, but in the natural you're looking at it and it's like, I don't know how any of this is going to happen. I don't have the time, I don't have the ability, uh, maybe it's a physical issue, I, I don't I don't have the resources, but God wants to open up a major door for you. So these guys just want to come into agreement with whatever God birthed in you, whatever God is calling you. They just want to let, allow your faith to meet their faith, and let's believe God. Let them speak the, the, the word of the Lord over you. Let them speak blessing over you, and let's believe God for more than we could ever dream of or imagine. Amen? Amen. If you guys want to just uh, stand to your feet. And like I said, if you're feeling uh, the, the, the leading to prayer and uh, Brother Rich, if you're okay with just uh, guiding the people in, if they come right up the middle, just kind of sending them over to whoever's not praying at that time. But we're just here to pray. We're just here to believe God with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We honor you. Can we just thank him? Can we just thank him today? Just thank him. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Just lift up your own voice and just thank him for the things. If you've got something to thank him for, maybe if you don't have anything to thank him for, then just sit there and be quiet. But if you have something to thank Jesus for, open up your mouth, right? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Just thank you, Lord. Maybe he's just, you're thankful that he saved your soul. You're thankful that he delivered you from drugs and alcohol. You had a 
bill that you didn't think you were going to pay. You were at the doctors. You didn't think you were going to make it. You didn't think your marriage was going to make it. Your family wasn't going to make it. But you're here today, and we want to give them thanks. And that same God that delivered you from all that, those things you went through, he's going to come through in a bigger way today. Amen? So we're going to go ahead and worship him. If you need prayer, come up. If you need to go, then go ahead and go. I'd rather you, you know, leave happy than stay and be mad. But if you want to stay and worship and you want to stay for prayer, um, go for it. Lord, thank you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless each and every person in here. Bless their lives. Lord, protect them from any, uh, any evil work. Lord, give them, give them a gift of faith. Allow them to see like you see. In Jesus' name, amen.
say. Mm, place it. weary and my heart is heavy and my plans are failing I bow down to the God of wisdom to the Prince of Peace to the Holy Spirit I bow down when my mind is weary when my mind is weary my heart is heavy, and my plans are failing. I bow down to the God of wisdom, to the Prince of Peace, to the Holy Spirit. I bow down. Bring your eyes to fire. Come and search me freely. Bring your fire to my soul. Bring your fire to my soul. Search the deep places. Deep places. Bring your fire to my soul. Bring your fire to my soul. Bring your eyes to fire. Come and search me freely. Bring your fire to my soul. Open up my plans, let it be pleasing to you. Bring your eyes of fire, come and search me freely. Bring the fire into my soul. Open up my plan. Open up my plan. 
to the Prince of Peace, to the Holy Spirit, I bow down. Bring a fire to my soul. Fire to my soul. Fire to my soul. If my people who call my name humble themselves and play and seek my face and turn from sin and all their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and I will heal all their ways. They will turn from sin and turn to heaven, all the things that we proclaim, because we give you all. Search me freely. Bring your fire into my soul. Bring your fire into my soul. Search the deep places. The deep places. Bring your fire into my soul. Bring your fire into my soul. Bring your eyes of fire. Come and search me freely. Bring your fire into my soul. Bring your fire into my soul. Search the deep places. The deep places. 
From the dead, showing all those who doubt it that our pain runs deep, and the one we see, He will move every mountain. There's no fear in me; He's healing me, preparing we, because we know that the enemy will try to win every battle. Win every battle. And he knows that through every trial, I'll grow in a rattle. I'll grow in a rattle. And he knows that through every trial, I'll grow in a rattle. Oh, 